Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Well, part of our, I guess, our witness with one another and to one another is that during times like this, we, we do look for a little bit of normalcy, right? A kind of a routine, something to kind of hang on to. And you got to keep laughing at ourselves where it's possible. Uh, you know, we've been in this study about... Um, ourselves, understanding me, myself, and why, why do I do the things I do. So we've been looking at the, uh, this, this ancient tool of the Enneagram, but lately somebody uh, shared with me something that's going around. I'm sure it's on social media by now. You've probably already seen it, but you know I'm fasting social media, so the two things about that. I haven't seen it, and two, I feel like a new man. You should try it, actually, literally try it. Just get off of the social media for a, a hot minute. But listen, this has been going around and it came to me and I thought it was great since we're talking about the Enneagram. These are the, the different ways that each of the Enneagram numbers responds to the coronavirus outbreak. So here, here we go, ones. We haven't gotten to ones yet. We're getting you in a couple of weeks. But ones, they have a perfect list of all the necessities that they need, but they don't have time or places to shop now. Twos, those of us who are helpers, givers, well, we worry about how in the world we're going to care for everybody if there's an outbreak, yet we forget to wash our own hands and can get sick ourselves. Threes, threes want to appear prepared, but also they want to be respected for their lack of worry. That's pretty good. Fours, who like to be unique, individualists, well, the fours, they, they brood over the indignity of the possibility of getting the same illness as everybody else. Fives, the investigators, those who, who require information, they listen to podcasts on virologists, and they up their daily dosage of potassium and magnesium. Good idea to do that these days. Sixes, who are the loyalists, who are driven by kind of ongoing low-grade fear all the time. Well, they buy these 150-pound bags of dried beans, and while they're wearing a gas mask, they text their friends and say, I told you it was coming, I knew it. Sevens, I love this one, who we talked about last week. Sevens, well, they plan a vacation during this time with the hopes of school being canceled, and they're willing to take a risk on a cheap cruise right about now. Eights, who we're talking about today, well, they get annoyed at CDC updates, and they wash their hands less frequently just out of protest. And nines, well, nines, peacemakers, next week we'll talk about you. Nines can't decide if they should be worried, so they just, they just take a nap. So... You know, with nobody in the sanctuary to laugh, I'm assuming that you are laughing your, your faces off right now as we begin part number eight of this series called Me, Myself, and Why. And why are we doing this? It's because we're supposed to love each other. I mean, it's a whole point, right? But we've been saying for eight weeks that part of love is more than words. Part of love is attempting to humble ourselves and actually learn something about the other ones who we are supposed to be loving. That means we seek to understand why in the world 
do these people see life this way? Why do these have this particular opinion about that matter? Why do these people watch that news channel and not the other one, right? So this attempt to understand each other is a pathway for us to actually become better lovers of each other and of God. So to do that, we're looking at Scripture, at particular passages where the characters in these passages, they demonstrate some of the energies that are found in the Enneagram. The Enneagram is this ancient tool that we've been studying for a little while now. It says that basically that there are nine different ways to view and do life. And each of these nine ways are kind of ways to stand in the world, positions in which you, you orient your life and you have particular motivations that drive what you do. But what we've been saying these many weeks is that the nine types that are among us are really divided into three groups of three. They're like three of us who are heart-driven, and we're the ones who, who, well, we feel our way through life, and we're driven by this core kind of motivation of shame. And image is so important to the heart folks and the heart triad. We spent three weeks studying them. Then we moved to the head triad, and we said that there are some among us who they orient their life by thinking their way through life. They're, they're driven by kind of this, this hidden motivation of fear. They have different ways of fearing and different ways of managing those fears. But we spent the last three weeks talking about those who were in the head triad. But today it's exciting because we move into the final triad, the final three types on the Enneagram in the gut triad or the body triad. These are folks who do, they function, they, they take action through life, and they're driven by this core motivation of anger. They may not admit that they're angry, but they, that's why we call it subconscious, an unconscious drive of some kind of anger that lives out in three, at least three different kinds of ways. And today, specifically, we start our conversation uh, among the gut triad, among the body people, by talking about the eights. The eights are the challengers. Listen, in some places, the challenger is also referred to as like the boss or the leader. I mean, when an eight walks into the room, you know that an eight has walked into the room. They walk into the room and command the energy of that room. It's not because of ego or arrogance, because any of us can be egotistical and arrogant. It's just that eights have this, this energy about them that fills the room. They like to be in charge. They like to take control of the situation. They, one of the needs that drives eights, the challengers, is they need to be, in some ways, against. They need to stand up and push back their energy, pushing back against some thing, some system, some some force that they experience. So you might get the impression that with an eight, they're always kind of hard about something. They're always kind of hard-nosed about something. Maybe you get the impression from the eights who command this energy, this sense of power or control, like they're hard all the way to the core. But the truth is, if you actually get to know an eight with this tough exterior and this posturing or this positioning that says, hey, I got this. I'm in control. I'm not afraid to let you know my opinion. If I want your opinion, I'm going to tell you your opinion, and then you can tell it back to me. If you get the impression that an eight is hard all the way to the core, you haven't really gotten to know an eight. Because just beneath the surface of an eight is a soft interior. There really is. The heart of an eight beats with compassion. 
You're like, well, how in the world? Because that doesn't look like it. Well, eights have a tough exterior because they've learned, and some of them can tell you long ago where they picked up that armor, but they learned to put on a tough exterior, but their heart beats for the underdog. Their hearts beat with compassion toward those who have been oppressed or pushed to the sides or the margin. They have this, this compulsive need to stand up and protect those who have been pressed down. They have a strong sense of justice. And sometimes what they fight for most vigorously is for justice to be given to those who have been without. Some of the most famous eights that you and I would know, for example, are Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who fought with this eight energy for the equity and justice to be given to African Americans in our country and then beyond that afterwards to, to poor whites and to sanitation workers and all those from whom justice has been kept or for whom justice has been kept. Dr. King, also you might think of Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa who, who fought for the, the dignity of those who were most forgotten and neglected in the slums and in the gutters of Calcutta. You may even think about Oscar Schindler. Oscar Schindler, the shrewd, hard-nosed businessman who during Nazi-occupied Germany, during the Holocaust, hired subversively, hired Jews to work in his factories in order to save them. He, in the end, during the Holocaust, saved nearly 1,200 human beings. You might even think of Winston Churchill. Churchill, who even before the U.S. got involved in the Second World War, he united all of Great Britain in the fight to resist the spread of tyranny from Nazi Germany. See, these, these eights that you and I know, not just publicly, but maybe even in your own family, they have this hard, tough exterior. There are no nonsense. What they say is what they mean, and there's no ambiguity about where they stand on a matter. But it's because deep within there's this, there's this drive for things to be right and fair, and for people to play by the rules. And to be honest with you, it's, it's really kind of a superpower. But like I've been telling you for the last nine or eight weeks, every superpower has a kryptonite. So the thing that makes you the strongest is also the thing that can make you the weakest. It can be your trap if you're not awake to it. And for, for eights, this power, this, this strength of heart, this courage, this ability to stand on their own and take control, if gone unexamined, well, they can use that power that they bring into a room and just bulldoze over somebody. They can run roughshod right over the relationships in their life. If they're not aware of their energy and their position in life, they can actually damage relationships by pushing and by, by uh, uh, force and power and taking control. The thing that we don't really think about when we think about eights is this. Even though it looks like they want to take control, they don't really want to control you. They just don't want you to control them. But if they're not awake to their own energies, they can just bulldoze and even bully right over people. And that can cause a great, a great problem in our relationships. Every one of the nine numbers we've talked about has a core sin involved or kind of a deadly sin, right? For eights, the core sin is lust. Now, lust can mean sexual, no doubt about that. 
But really, in Enneagram language, lust for an eight is not just about sex or not about just sexuality. It can be, it can be, but, but it's really more about this lust for power, this lust for control. But let's think about why that is. It's because early on in their lives, somewhere along the way, they picked up on this message that to be weak means you are a goner that only the strong survive, that there are sheep in this world and sheep dogs, and I'm going to be a sheep dog protecting the sheep. I will not be a victim. I will not be vulnerable. And so in order to protect themselves from being vulnerable, they will never show you the chink in their armor. They'll never show you their Achilles heel. So to to do that, they swell, they fill the room with their energy so there is no room for them to have to be vulnerable or to show a weakness. The trouble with that is if you, if, you, if you can't, and I'm talking directly to my eights, if you can't learn how to be vulnerable over the course of this journey, you can't really know or be known fully by anybody. So eights can, if gone unexamined, keep people at kind of an arm's distance and not even know what they're doing. And there are a lot of eights in the Bible. So in Scripture, I went looking for all the eights that that, that I could find, and one of them you know quite well, the prophet Nathan. So you remember last week we talked about King David and how King David, who was a seven, stayed at home during the springtime, in the springtime of the year when kings normally go off to fight in battle. He, as a seven, avoiding conflict, stays home to look for pleasures that fill the void, and he looks and finds this beautiful woman bathing on a rooftop. Her name is Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah, who's on the front lines fighting. And he he sends for her, and remember we talked about these verbs of conquest, and I would even say verbs of rape and conquest. He sent for her. They brought her. He took her, and she became pregnant. So now he has to cover this thing up. And remember, last week we talked about he brings Uriah home, tries to get Uriah inebriated enough to, to be with his wife so that maybe Uriah believes that the baby is his. It doesn't work because he's too faithful to his king. So he sends Uriah back to the front lines to the most fierce part of the battle to sabotage him. And then he's killed. And now the cover-up has worked, or so David thinks. Well, the prophet Nathan comes to confront King David. And he does it creatively at first. Eights can be creative too. They come and and he comes to King David and he says to them, look, I got a story for you, King. So there was a city and there were these two men and this one man was rich and he had all these sheep and there was one man who was poor. He just had one. He liked this baby ewe lamb and he loved this ewe lamb and He cared for this ewe lamb and and nursed it, brought it into his own home and cared for it. Well, a stranger came to town and the rich man, wanting to entertain the stranger, instead of taking a sheep from his fold, takes the only sheep this poor man had. And he, he feeds the stranger with this man's one and only sheep. And the king was outraged. David says, are you kidding me? You tell me who this is and I will bring justice to make sure he pays for what he's done. And then Nathan, the prophet, in all his eightness, stands up and points his finger in the face of the king and says, you, you are the man. You are the one who is unjust, and God has seen what you have done, and you will pay for what you have done. See, eights 
have the, the courage and the tenacity to stand up and speak truth to power. It doesn't mean uh, they cower in the presence of anyone. It, it means it doesn't matter what the rank or position is. If it's true for one person, it must be true for another. And eights will stand and tell you the truth, even if it's at great risk to their own peril. So another eight in the Bible. I'm thinking of Deborah. Deborah was this leader in Israel. She was a, a judge during the time of Judges. And she led a conquest or led a victory of the Israelites over Canaan. But she did it this way. She reaches out to one of her generals named Barak and says, I want you to take this campaign and, and, and battle the Canaanites. I want you to, to overtake them. And Barak says, well, okay, I'll do it if, uh, if you go with me. Is this kind of, I'll, I'll do it, but I kind of need you there. The verse is really interesting. It, it reads this way. Uh, Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me in all your eightness, uh, I, I won't go. And this is what she said. Uh, Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. In other words, if I want to get something done right, i got to get a woman to do this. And so Deborah steps up in all her eightness and says, I got you. And what I want my eights to understand is this. If you are an eight, you have the capacity to instill confidence in the people that you lead. If done rightly, if done fully aware and, and, and completely awake, you can actually instill healthy confidence in those who are with you. Because if an eight goes with you up a hill, if an eight goes with you into the fire, there's a strength present. See? That is part of who you are created in the image of God. There is this protective kind of hero for the underdog that is in you. And if you can learn to harness it without distancing yourself, what power that is. Even in the Bible, there are some other examples. Uh, think of uh, Shipra and Puah, the, the two women who stood up against Pharaoh when Pharaoh said, let's kill all the children in, Is in, in Egypt. Or think about Vashti, who stood up against her king husband when he wanted to parade her around like a trophy. She said, mm -mm, not today. And so there are energies, and I find that it's interesting that most of the eights I found in the Bible are women. I just kind of love that a little bit. But th there is other eight energy if you look for it in Scripture. Take, for example, the way that God is described at times in Scripture. Through feminine imagery, by the way, an eagle who, who hovers over her nest. Um, a hen who gathers her brood unto herself. A mother bear who rages against those who would separate her from her cubs. See, these are images that are meant to describe God. And those are eight images. And I want you to know if you are an eight or if you love someone who is an eight, that is part of the character and image of God in them. But if it's gone unchecked, that power can cause more damage than good. If you want to think of someone who in their eightness demonstrated unhealth and caused more trouble than good, I want you to think of Samson. Samson's parents couldn't have children. And then God said, I will give you this child, but you are to raise him as a Nazarite for life. A Nazarite is kind of the special order of people who are set apart to live and breathe and be different in the world. They can't cut their hair. They can't drink alcohol or wine. They can't touch dead carcasses. Uh, and if they choose that order, the Nazarite order, it's usually for a 
period of time, not very long, but this child was to be set apart as a Nazarite for life. And as such, God gave him strength like no one had ever seen. This guy could do things that others could not do. I mean, he, he killed uh, a lion with his bare hands, right? He, he slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he, he's the one who, when they arrested him, they put brand new ropes on him that couldn't be broken, and he, he broke them like they, were, like they were wax melting right off of his wrist. He was powerful beyond imagination, but he was more powerful than was even good for him. Sometimes eights will forget that when they walk in the room, they do have the energy, they do have the power, but if they forget it, they can actually be more powerful than their own good. So Samson got in trouble a few times. He lost his lid on a few things, small, minor things, and eights can do that. They can lose their lid over things, and that power goes unbridled and causes sometimes damage that has to be undone. But maybe the best example of this, of where Samson embodies the eightness of maybe somebody in your family, is with Delilah. So I told you that the sin for eights is lust, right? And it's not always sexual, but for him it was. For him it was women, and he was in love with Delilah, and, and that was his downfall. Four times this woman tried to find out what the the secret to his strength was. And he would, she would ask questions like, hey, what is the source of your strength and what is it that would make you weak? Now sit with that question for just a moment. Asking an eight, where are you weak? It goes against everything that an eight is because an eight has learned probably from childhood that I cannot show weakness at all costs. And many eights, we're told, Suzanne Stabile reminds us that eights, many eights will know the very moment in time when they learned they have to put on armor. It was an event or maybe a season of events, and they learned to put on this armor, and you cannot see the, the chink in my armor, you cannot see my Achilles heel at all costs. Delilah says, tell me where you're weak, and he wouldn't. And there was this curious line in the text there in Judges that, so the source of his strength went unknown, it said, unknown. But then in time, he gave in to his lust. He gave in to his lust for more power, more domination, more love. And he, he revealed that the source was his hair. And she cut his hair and they subdued him. They gouged his eyes out. They arrested him. And this right here is, is, is really the plight of what the eight fears the most. If I let my guard down, that's what you're going to do to me. You're going to exploit me. If I become vulnerable, you're going to take advantage of me. You're going to betray me. And the truth is, this is the wounding message that many eights carry around. We all have wounding messages that we pick up along the way. And for the eight, the wounding message is this. It's not okay to be vulnerable with anyone or trust anyone. I can't. Can't do it. If I let you in, this is exactly what's going to happen. Did you not see what just happened to Samuel? He let his guard down and that was it. But the truth is, eights, if you don't become vulnerable at some level, you can go through life like this and people are so put off by your energy and so don't understand what's behind it that you can rarely be known or know anyone. 
So there is, in response to this wounding message that many of our eight friends carry around, there is this healing message that's available in Jesus Christ. And the healing message sounds like this. You will not be betrayed. And every, every eight who just heard me say that is like, so then what happened to Samson? I mean, he was betrayed. He let his guard down like you're telling him to do. And there he was. He was betrayed. But I'm trying to tell you that in Christ, you are not going to be betrayed. That you can become vulnerable. There is this verse in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. And I think about Paul and this verse when I think about you as eights. This, he, he says it this way. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. Nothing could sound stranger to the ears of an eight. Power made perfect in weakness. Are you crazy? But the verse goes on and says, So I will, boast in my, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I'm weak, then I'm strong. The one lesson that I am, I am begging my eights to listen to is this possibility. That as strong as you are, as powerful as you seem to your environment and to the world around you, it can't be compared to the true strength of yielding your heart before Christ and letting his strength be your power. There is a difference between the power that we project as an image we want the world to see and true interior power that can only come through our weakness, where we shed all armor and allow Christ to be the strength for us. So think about it this way. I don't care what number, you're, I don't care what number you are or what your Enneagram type is. Think about this. I want you to think about the cross of Jesus. I want you to imagine Jesus right now on the cross, broken, beaten, Bloody suffering on the cross. You got it? Now, is that weakness or is that power? Is that weakness or is that true cosmic divine strength? Because even Jesus on the cross said, My Father, what my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He even voices the, the very base fear of an eight. He, he voices, I'm not saying Jesus was an eight, so don't email me on that one right there. I'm saying that he even voices what eights fear, which is I will be forsaken. And Jesus voices, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he asked that question on Friday, eights. The father answered his question on Sunday. The resurrection is the answer that you nor any of all my beloved daughters and sons will ever be forsaken by me. And that is good news for the eights and for all of us. But I want to check and see how some eights are hearing what I've been saying up here. So this time I want to invite three of my favorite eights to join me on the platform. I want to invite, um, I want to invite Elisa Sloan. David Woodard and Marsha Janowski to join Janowski, sorry, to join us right on stage here. And guys, since you can't hear anybody in the audience right now, you need to know they're probably all at home, like thunderous applause as you've walked up on the, to the platform. I just want you to know, yeah. So, hello, Hi. hello. welcome, and I'm going to get you to talk right into the microphones, and we'll sanitize the microphones right after we're finished. All right. 
So I'm so grateful that you came to be part of our, our discussion. This is a little bit brave on my part to invite three eights up on the stage with me. I may not make it out alive, but I'm going to ask you some questions and see what we can learn about the interior world of an aid, okay? So first of all, let me just throw it out there and tell me, what are you learning lately about yourself as you discover more of your patterns as an Enneagram aid, as a challenger? What are you learning these days? First of all, I want to say that you are brave because you have mm. two eight women on yes. the stage with you. That's scary, yeah. And Marsha and I are very, very good friends, and mm. we love each other's energy. And yeah. we did before we knew we were eights. Mm. So I have to thank you, Sean, for bringing the Enneagram to us. Um, I think it was in uh, 2018, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in August, and Glenn came home and said, uh, Sean has an idea and wants to present it to the staff and wants the staff and the spouses to, to be involved in this uh, one-day seminar to mm -hmm. introduce us to the Enneagram. And That's when, when John and Wendy Singletary yes, came uh, yes, about a year or so ago. Yes. Yeah. And I was immediately fascinated, mm -hmm. so I, I started reading, and I kept reading about all these personality types, and I got to the Enneagram 8, mm -hmm. and I went, wait, what? It's as if someone had followed me around my whole life, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I just couldn't get enough. And I've been learning and learning more uh, ever since then, and it has brought such clarity and such liberation and such understanding uh, to me and to also my family and friends uh, about what uh, an eight is in our essence and, um, and what our healthiest levels are and what our unhealthiest mm -hmm. levels are. Okay. So knowing this, it has helped me to strive to be the healthiest mm -hmm. Uh, of my personality type okay. and like I said clarity and understanding and confidence and comfort mm. I could go on those are like all C's <laughs> you could almost be a Baptist preacher those I are like know. three C's in a row right there well done I'm impressed that was, that was good yeah uh, Elisa, when you talk about the healthy and and the unhealthy and we've got our little group of friends um, that we are going through the Enneagram with so when we're to uh together, and you mentioned it in your sermon, that mm -hmm. I can walk into a room, you know, and then just uh, immediately suck all the energy, you know, mm -hmm. right up, and um, um, realizing, and what made me, when I was, I study more about an eight, that I can leave the room, and there's carnage everywhere. And carnage, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never, I didn't even realize that I've left all this carnage, carnage. and so, you know, yes. now, um, when, when somebody, where I'm in a group, and somebody will start to say something that I disagree with, I'd say, well, since I'm an eight, uh, I would normally say, mm -hmm. that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, and you can't possibly believe that, and here's what you should believe. Mm -hmm. But since I'm an eight, I'm going to say, oh, let's talk about that, okay. and let's have a little discussion. <laughs> but you know, that takes so much time, so I just want to just jump out there and tell them what they should believe. Yeah. Just get down to it. Okay. We're a little bit intense. Okay. Yeah. All right. David, what about you? Well, the good news that I've discovered is there's we eights can change. Okay. We can change. All right. And, How are you uh, changing? Tell me about well, that. Well, I appreciate all those wonderful qualities and not the negative so much you talked about this morning, but uh -huh. over the years, I've realized that I need a little tweaking here and there, and mm. I'm married to a nine, 
and Trudy has uh, often pointed these things out over the last 50 years. You don't say. So I've learned that I can change. When I was working, um, I was very successful and good at what I did, but I, many, many, many times hmm. I left a trail of bodies hmm. in getting the bottom line okay. done. Okay. And I did that, and uh, and you, ever since I was in junior high school, and then high school and college and work, um, I've always been an achiever and wanted to mm -hmm. uh, be number one and do mm -hmm. the best I could, and okay. and never never seeming to have enough. Mm -hmm. And I retired five years ago, and I didn't know how I was going to be able to handle that because I thought. Uh, I won't be achieving anymore, and I, that, maybe that's where I get my self-worth. But I am so thankful and glad to say that these past five years have been some of the greatest of my life, and I'm so contented and so happy and blessed with uh, this new attitude of gratitude. Mm -hmm. All I have is all I need, and I'm just very content to just be yeah. instead of trying to achieve to the next thing so that's what so that's, i've learned in the that's last very interesting. five so, years so in in enneagram conversation uh enneagrams are part of what's known as the uh, aggressive stance so threes sevens and eights uh, are are those who are forward motion all the time you're future oriented it's next 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 no time to for the sit down and the touchy feely right marcia let's just get down to it right so let me ask you this question. Um, it wasn't on your cheat sheet I gave you, but I'm just kind of responding to what you're saying. In what your relationship is with Christ right now, how is knowing Christ and being aware of your Enneagram pattern helping you to stop the forward push? How, what is Christ doing and how has, has understanding your relationship with Christ through the, the Enneagram, understanding that, helped you to be more present and still and not just aggressive, leaving the carnage, as you say, or the trail of bodies in, in your wake? Um, I, I do feel like this study with the Enneagram and particularly understanding more of why I do things as an eight has hugely helped me in my relationship with um, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. Because um, I, I used to say, why do I do the things I do? Why am I so overbearing? Why am I so judgmental? You know, and here I am back in my prayer going, help me not to be this. And that. But I didn't understand how I could specifically pray for what I, what I needed. And, and so now that I understand better why I do that kind of thing, then I can, I can be more focused on my my sins, you know, the, the yeah. areas yeah. where I know I need help. And I can say, okay, show me those really quick, like before I actually blurt them out, yeah. you know, yeah. what is it yeah. with yeah. an eight? We, yeah. we say before we think. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm so show it to me real time. <laughs> yeah. Show it to me in the yes. moment. And I yeah. love, I know you didn't mean to do this. I love the air quotes around sins, <laughs> yeah. which is what somebody who is afraid to be vulnerable would do, you know, around my weaknesses, you know, my sins, uh, you know, but it's true. It's this becoming aware of that part of you. All right. Anybody else? What are you learning from your relationship with Christ that helps you? And talk right into the mic. Here. Well, in my case, I guess most of my life, I've found that I have to stay close to the church and Christian uh, uh, leadership and like my Sunday school community and my Bible study mm -hmm. and my Christian friends mm -hmm. and the fellowship that we share. Mm -hmm. 
and Christian mentors. I have to stay close to that or I get off track on all this stuff. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's the secret that's uh, for my uh, getting better okay. and being able to change. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, so tell me something about this relationship between power and weakness. So the last thing I said in the sermon there was about, you know, uh, you've learned to become strong for a number of reasons. You've learned uh, the world needs me to be firm, strong, unwavering, not wishy-washy, right? But what do you make of this whole uh, crucifixion thing? What do you, how does that shape? Well, how does that challenge the challenger? What does that what does that speak to you? Well, speaking of vulnerability yeah. and uh, difficult for us to trust, um, I was asking both of my daughters, um, how do you rely on me? Mm -hmm. uh, is it with my knowledge and intuition mm -hmm. or is it with my strength and decisiveness? And they both said, Mom, your strength and your mm -hmm. decisiveness. Mm -hmm. So I feel a duty mm -hmm to stand up and be strong and be that mama bear sure. or um, for those who can't speak for themselves or who I think has suffered an injustice mm -hmm. or, or has been treated unfairly, I will go and challenge. Um, but then I have to realize that I can only do so much mm -hmm. and that I have to get out of the way yeah. and, and let the Holy Spirit work. If I'm in the way... They, they can't experience what they need to experience. I can't experience what I need to experience. And it's a daily thing. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a struggle sure. not to try to uh, put things in order for people for, for, <laughs> for their protection, you know, mm -hmm. to be the guardian, to be the protector. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a daily thing. Okay. Okay. Well, let me get you to react to a couple of statements. Okay. I've, I've written down a few things that I'm told are true about eights. I just want you to react to them, any, any one of you. All right, so eights don't want to control others. Eights just don't want to be controlled. We want our independence. You want your independence. Yes. You want to stand on your own. Well, uh, the way I can relate to that was during my work years of about 50 of them, uh, I worked for several different companies, and I oh, I didn't like to be controlled, and I didn't like people telling me what to do. Mm. And uh, two of the companies I left because I, I couldn't take it anymore, and I started my own business, and I was successful in it, both of them. Um, and these other companies, one of them, uh, they hired me back three times mm. during the 50 years. And it wasn't because they loved me. It was because <laughs> I got the job done. Okay, right. And, uh, but in my, having my own business, I could control everything, and I could make sure everything was done just like I wanted it, and it worked. Okay, So All right. Good, good, good. Anybody else? Um, well, and I'm not sure about, when I walk into the room, if somebody will just go ahead and do it, then I'm fine with that. I don't have to take control. But if leaving it undone Leaving is a it undone okay. just drives me right. nuts. Or if they're talking about their feelings too much or, you know, just somebody has to be in charge. And if you're not going to do it, and I can assess that very quickly, yeah. then I'm just, I'm going to take charge. Okay. okay. Mm -hmm. So then the flip question or the next question would be, so, so how do the rest of us uh, love you? 
Give, give, give us a tip or two about, so if that's true, how, how do the rest of us, how could the rest of us learn to love you more fully or more authentically, given the way you know or you're becoming more aware of how you're wired? What, what would be helpful? Yeah, I have been pondering that, and I think if, if people could just give me like just a minute grace period, you know, mm. I'm going to say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. Here's what you need to do, and here's, here's what you think mm. about that. You know, okay. you right. mentioned that in your sermon. Right. If they could just get, don't get upset Right at first, just realize that's how I'm going to come at you. Okay. And then if you show a little bit of power, a little bit of pushback, I'll go, okay, well, let's okay. talk about it. Yeah, we love yeah. to get the energy back Okay. so okay. we can work through it. Okay. And I think we, we come off very, um, very strong, very intense, a lot of energy. And if they could understand it's, we're doing it because we feel like it's our duty. We want to take care of you, take care of the situation. Try not to give us some grace. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's it's for the greater good. Okay. Good. Dave? Yeah, I want to say that uh, giving us a lot of grace, cutting us some slack, mm. loving us a lot, and um, just be reassuring that uh, they're there for us and uh -huh. and they love us. Okay. And, and the grace. Okay. Good. It's interesting this piece about push back. It's interesting this. You know that you don't you don't appreciate or or respect um, somebody who immediately cowers at your strength. So if you push and they okay well sure whatever, that's not something that you're wanting. You're actually wanting the exchange of energy. Yeah. If we feel like you're convicted hmm. and committed, okay. then we can trust that. Okay. Well, we respect strength and courage. Yeah. We respect that, and when it's there, we recognize it, okay. and we'll go with the program. Okay. You know, when I take those instruments for spiritual gifts, I'm a zero on the mercy scale. Okay. And I mean, and I think, yeah, we, you know, we, we talked about that. And, and so, um, because I think I just respect strength so much, you know, that's definitely one of the things I'm praying about. And hopefully I'm edging my number up. The more I understand how mm -hmm. I feel about, you know, strength yeah. and weakness. Yeah. Okay. So last question then. So <clears throat> in the sermon, I said something about you. Eights learn to put on this armor early on, and they can often forget that beneath the armor, or maybe others around them can forget. You don't forget, but people around you forget that beneath the armor, there is a softness of heart. There is a vulnerability. What are you learning about how to more freely show the chink in your armor? How to more freely reveal your Achilles heel so that others are reminded. How can you help others see that it's not just a tough exterior? I'd like to address that. Sure. Um, I had a high school football coach. His name was Nolan Ashmore. And uh, he was always talking about vulnerability. Hmm. I don't know if I'd ever even heard that word and certainly didn't know much about it. But he was talking about, he talked about vulnerability and uh Throwing yourself into it, full, yeah. full strength, right. and uh, and playing the game with reckless abandon. Reckless abandon. Now I, I wasn't too big. I was about 155 pounds, mm -hmm. and every week we had a tackling drill, tw three times a week, and I always got Butch McQuarter, who was six three, and he weighed about 200 pounds, and then, and then you had to take the ball and just casually trot down the field so that you were totally vulnerable, and he could 
do his tackling drill. Yeah, sure. And he would come flying into me about 10 feet through the air and just wipe me out. And, uh, and there was a little bit of pain with it, but eights can tolerate pain. Mm. And, uh, and anyway, I survived it. And, uh, and I've really, th- you talked a lot about vulnerability during the sermon. Sure. And throughout my whole life, and that was in like the 11th grade, okay. my whole life, I've tried to play the game with reckless abandon and throw my whole self into mm. it. And I found that in my spiritual life, I used to talk about this a lot, that we need to make ourselves vulnerable and let God work through us and play it with reckless abandon. We won't get hurt. He'll watch over us and, and take care of us. And uh, every time I've taken a leap of faith for God, he's been with me and I have been richly, richly blessed. And I think this morning, Three eights coming up here, which vulnerability is our biggest concern. Yes. That's right. We're putting ourselves out there, mm-hmm. and really I know does. that we're going to be blessed yeah. Yeah. beyond measure yeah. Yeah. for doing this. I yeah. feel like, David, and so I'm just glad yeah. to be here. And David, that is a great word. In fact, um, it needs to be said, and I'm going to say it right here, right to your faces, that as tough as eights are, it does take an extra courage because what we're asking you to do right here is do the opposite of your instinct or your persona, which is to open up a little bit. And I, for one, am very grateful to each one of you. And I love you and I'm grateful. So at this point, now we're going to shift for a moment because every time that we end the sermon during the series, we're having Adam Courtney sing one of the songs from Sleeping at Last. And this one uh, is written from the perspective of an eight, and it's called Eight. So, Adam. I remember the minute It was like a switch was flipped It was just a kid who grew up strong enough To pick his armor up And suddenly it fit God, that was so long ago, long ago, long I was little, I was weak, perfectly naive And I grew up too quick Now you won't see all that I have to lose All that I've lost in the fight to protect it And I won't let you win I swore I'm 
trust you so show me how to lay my soul down for long enough to let you through here I am pry me open what do you want to know I'm just a kid who grew up scared enough to hold the door shut and bury my innocence but here's a map here's a shovel here's my Achilles heel I'm all in poems out I'm at your mercy now and I'm ready to strong, invincible like I've never been. That's what, that's what knowing Christ and yielding our lives to Christ can do for any of us, regardless of where we stand in life. And my prayer for you is that you would find that strength. Thank you so much for tuning in and being a part of our worship experience. I want to encourage you to stay, uh, stay tuned, but wherever it is that you abide, wherever you go, wherever it is that you are doing life and with ever whoever it is you're doing life with, my prayer for you is this, that Christ would go before you to prepare your way. That Christ would go behind you on the days that you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time. May Christ go to your right and Christ to your left, abiding closer than even a sister or a brother. May Christ go above you. On the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there's one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. May Christ go beneath you, girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his.